Father, help us, God. Lord, we need you this day as ever, O oh Lord. Lord, our hearts are prone to wander and stray away from you, O oh God. But God, by the aid of your spirit, we're able to hear your word and obey it, O oh God. So be with us today as we search your scriptures so that we would know what would please you, Lord. So we would know how we ought to uh, live in this world in a way that would glorify your name. Lord, help us to honor you in all that we do. Lord God, I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart are acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we do, um, somebody's supposed to be bringing them from the copy machine. I'm not sure what's taking them so long. Anyways, we're on session five of our course seminar on marriage. So we've been, for those of you who haven't been here, we have uh, been going through um, uh, trying to frame up a biblical theology of marriage. We've been, um, so far we've uh, gone through Genesis. We talked about marriage from the perspective prior to the fall. Then we talked about how the fall um, affected marriage. In the last couple weeks, we talked about marriage and sin, how sin affects marriage. And so this week, we are going to look at, um, we're still trying to frame up a theology of marriage, and we're going to talk about marriage post-fall among the redeemed. Okay, so how the fact that we've been saved as believers and we're living in this world as believers, how that's supposed to affect the way we interact with one another in marriage. So we're going to do that here from Ephesians chapter 5. So just as a recap, the two big goals that we've been talking, thank you, the two big goals that we've had for marriage we had a horizontal goal, which is to form this one flesh union between these two distinct, unique people with differences, becoming, coming together, embracing those differences, and becoming this one flesh union to the glory of God. Then the other goal we talked about in marriage is how we're supposed to be functioning in marriage in in marriage in such a way that it would display the relationship between Christ and the church. So one of the goals of marriage is to show off the glory of God, to be a reflection to the watching world of Christ's love for his church and how that relationship is supposed to look you know, as they interact with one another. So we're supposed to reflect, represent, and recognize the glory of God in our spouses. That's one or the other. That's the vertical um, goal of marriage. So in that, and then we talked about how that should be desi- all of us should have that desire for our marriage. Your main aim and goal in marriage is to glorify God. So those are some of the things we went over. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on Christ and his relationship with his bride, the church, and learn 
Well, we're going to be looking at the marriage, but we're going to see how those two things, how Christ, the relationship with the bride, relates to our relationship with our brides, okay? So the text we're going to be coming from is Ephesians 5, 21. We're going to start there. Let me read. Submitting, <clears throat> submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, so that he might, re so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves him wife, his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall Leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So some of this we, we talked about in previous passages or previous sessions, but um, we, need to, we need to hunker down on this one today, right? Reason being is because we live in a day and age where men have been encouraged to not leave, provide, and protect for their families the way that they ought to. And women have been encouraged to be fiercely independent. Okay? So we need to drill down on these verses so that we won't be what the world says we ought to be in marriage, but we should be what the scriptures and the Lord says we should be. Right? So first things first, I want you to look at your handout. It says there's eight different um, ideas <clears throat> that we can get about marriage from this passage. So the first one is this passage is founded upon expectations that all Christians should live in humility. Some people will use the term mutual submission. You find that in verse um, 521, submit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now Paul writes this and, he, and he's writing about this specific responsibility of husbands and wives, right? So we have this idea here where there's this general principle in place where every Christian should be, should be submitting to one another in love. All brothers and sisters in Christ should be submitting to one another, okay, out of reverence for Christ, okay? And this word submit means <clears throat> something like a voluntary yielding in love. So you voluntarily submit yourself and yield to the other person in love, out of love for them, and for the glory of God. So we should be doing that for all Christians, regardless if you marry to them, okay? So on one level, like I'm saying, this submission is to one another, right? And this is characteristic of all Christians. It's a consistent theme found out throughout the New Testament that in Philippians 2.3 says, in humility, we should consider others better than ourselves. That is, in a sense, mutual submission, 
that you submitting to your other brothers. And Jesus says in Matthew 20, 26 to 28, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So in a sense, the heart of every Christian ought to be marked by humility and a voluntarily and a voluntary submission to your brothers and sisters in the Lord, okay? That being the case, you have some Christians who read this verse and will argue that the concept of mutual submission is all there is here, okay? There is no specific submission that the wife has to the husband. That's not true, okay? So in other words, what some would say is that Paul is not telling wives to submit to their husbands in a unique way. The passage is strictly just talking about mutual submission and nothing else. The problem with that is it literally says, wives, submit to your husbands. It literally says that. So I don't know what they're reading. That's the first problem. The second problem is, the second problem with that argument is when you consider the entire passage, it just doesn't make sense. So verse 21 stands as this overarching introduction to the whole section, right? Which runs all the way down to chapter 6, verse 9, okay? And it's telling children to submit to their parents and bond servants to submit to their masters. So in addition to giving these instru- this particular instruction to wives to submit, um, is also giving this command to children and slaves, respectively, all right? So if Paul didn't intend to place a specific obligation on the wife, then we got to say the same thing for, for uh, bond service and children. If women, if, this, if Paul is not telling women to specifically submit to their husbands, then he's not telling children to submit to their parents, That's why that argument is terrible, and it's unbiblical. And I suspect that the reason that people come up with that, you know what, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. Listen to me. When we look at the totality of Scripture, right, and consider everything, there's no way that that verse is not saying that. Okay? So verse 21 provides the context in which these particular instructions, this particular instruction, is given to a wife. So as Christians, husbands and wives are to deal with one another in humility. You're supposed to look at your wife and your husband as a brother in the Lord and a sister in the Lord, right? And, and deal with them with humility. You're supposed to be voluntarily submitting to each other for Christ's sake, out of reverence for Christ. And within that framework, Paul gives a particular responsibility to submit in a unique way to the wife, which is to submit to their own husbands. Okay? That's the second point, the second idea. Paul calls wives to submit to their own husbands. And there's a few things I want you to notice about this, right? So in verse 22 through 24, Paul turns from this general overarching command to submit to one another to this specific command and role for the wife that God has ordained for her, right? 
And if you notice this, the first thing is a wife's submission to her husband is an appeal for the wife to submit to the authority that God has ordained, okay? And it's to be done voluntarily. It's supposed to be done from the heart. Submission is supposed to be voluntary. Because like all commands, God wants your heart. He wants you to obey from the heart. Okay, the second thing is that the woman is told to submit to her own husband, right? God is not telling women to submit to every man, but to your own husband, okay? The third thing he says is that wives should submit to their husband as to the Lord. So he's telling you what to do, he's telling you how to do it, and he's telling you to whom it ought to be directed towards. Got it? Submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Right? And if you read, uh, so here's one of the other problems. Whenever you start having this conversation in churches, usually what you hear is about two and a half hours about what it don't mean. Okay? That's all you hear. It don't mean this, it don't mean that, it don't mean this, it don't mean that. So, I, listen to me. If you have any kind of theology or philosophy that's only built around negative assertions, Okay, you can't build anything. You can only tear things down. So when you hear somebody talking about any subject, this one in particular, but any subject, and all they're telling you is, it don't mean this, it don't mean this, it don't mean this, it don't mean this. All they're telling you is a target that you're not supposed to hit. They're, you're never going to be able to obey because you don't know what to do. You only know what to avoid. I've said this a hundred times, okay? If, all, if your only goal is to not be your parents, you're still going to fail. Okay? You're still going to miss the mark if that's your only goal. So when you're trying to figure out what these verses mean, you have to move beyond what it doesn't mean. Okay? You have to move beyond that. So here's the thing. In Ephesians 6, 5, right, it'll help us shed some light on here what Paul means. It says, bond servants. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Okay? Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Okay? So the key phrase here is, as you would obey Christ, verse 5. So part of the woman's obedience to Christ is to follow his instruction, which is to submit to earthly authorities. Your husband is not the only earthly authority that you should be submitting to. You understand this? The Bible says you should be submitting to your elders. The Bible says you should be submitting to the, um, the, the government as, as they submit to the Lord. Okay? So God has ordained spheres of responsibility and put people in authority in, each, in those particular spheres, and we all have responsibilities to submit to them, okay? So she's, she's supposed to submit to and obey him primarily because she loves Jesus and is submitting to him, okay? Here's the fourth thing. 
the same phrase as to the Lord implies that her first allegiance is to Jesus, not her husband. Okay? Her first allegiance is to Jesus, not her husband. And therefore, Paul does not in any way, in any way expect her husband, her, expect the wife, I'm sorry, expect the wife to submit to her husband in anything that violates the word of God. Do you hear me? Okay? A husband's headship and authority does not come from him. It comes from the Lord. It was granted to him from the Lord. Okay? It was given to him by God, and it is only legitimate when he exercises it in line with God's commandments. Do you hear that? He, his authority is illegitimate the second he starts trying to get you to do something that's opposite the word of God. Does that make sense to you? I need you to understand that. Okay, if he's asking you to sin, you're not supposed to obey. Do you hear me? That is not submission. That's not biblical submission. You have to obey men rather than, or you have to obey God rather than men. So therefore, if any husband is pushing his wife to disobey scripture, you need to respectfully refuse and remind your husband that you're here to obey God. And if he keep doing it, he needs church discipline. Do you hear me? That is wicked evil, and that's from the pit. So when a wife obeys the Lord and submits to her husband biblically, here's another thing you need to realize. Okay, so when a wife, when you, when you wives, when you obey your husband and you do it biblically, you actually expose counterfeit submission. Okay? You expose fake counterfeit submission. So listen, so Satan doesn't create anything. All he does is distort and, and, and tear down the things that God creates and ordains. And anything valuable will always have counterfeits and perversions. You, got, you understand what I'm saying? So you, here's what that means. It is not possible, ladies, it is not possible for any woman who is outside of Christ and refuses to submit to the word of God to accurately represent biblical submission. Do you understand that? You don't look like you understand it. Listen, if you got your concept of submission from an unsaved woman, okay, it's not right. Okay? So if you watched a woman, I don't care if it's your mother. If your mother didn't know the Lord and she refused to submit to Scripture and you learned your concept of submission from your mother and now you're rejecting that, by all means, reject it, but you still ain't obeying God. Okay? A woman who refuses to obey the Lord, submit to Scripture, and does not, and does not filled with the Spirit of God, cannot give you an accurate picture of submission. Okay? She can't. She can't do it. Furthermore, if you got your concept of submission from a self-professed believer, right, it could still be wrong. 
if she's claiming to be a Christian and not submitting to the Bible, not submitting to the word of God, it could still be wrong. The gauge for whether or not biblical submission is correct is the word of God. It's not your mother. Okay? It's not your mother. It's not your grandma. It's not, it's not auntie. It's the Bible. Okay? Definitely not your father. Yes, that's right, Heavenly Father. Listen, here's the other thing you need to understand, ladies. An unsubmissive wife is utterly destructive to a family. Okay? When a wife is not obeying the Lord, right, in this way, that is not a sin that you can take lightly. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's not something that you can take lightly. This is not some little simple passing faux pas. This, ain't something, this is not something inconsequential. In, in th- this is the equivalent of an earthquake or a hurricane. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Okay, because the effects of this type of disobedience, ladies, can and possibly will be felt for generations. Do you understand that? Your grandchildren are going to be affected by that. So, if you're in here and you believe that being an unsubmissive wife is not a big deal, the reason you believe that is because you devalue the importance of a woman, a wife, and a mother. Okay? If you think being an unsubmissive wife is insignificant and inconsequential, it's because you think the same thing about a woman. You hear me? Their contribution, a woman's, a wife's contribution to the flourishing and the success of the entire family is paramount. Do you hear me? Are y'all listening to me? Okay? You cannot have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. She's She's either foundational to the success of the family or she's not. Okay? And if she's foundational to the success and the flourishing of the husband and the children, then when she does it wrong or sinfully, she's going to destroy a whole lot of people. Listen to the word of God. Proverbs 14.1. The, wise, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. You, ha- you have also here Proverbs 27.15. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Okay? To restrain her is to restrain the wind, okay? Or to grasp oil in one's right hand. You can't stop the wind, family. You can't oil, you can't hold oil in your hand. This is what it's saying, okay? Proverbs 19. 14 through 15, house and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. A prudent wife is from the Lord, okay? Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Okay, and then 1 Timothy 5, 11 through 12, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation from having abandoned their former faith. 
Listen, besides that, they learned to be idlers, going from house to house, and not only idlers, but gossips, busybodies, saying what they should not say. So, listen, women, the success and flourishing of every person in the family is bound up in how you operate in the home and submit to the Lord. Okay? So you have the power to destroy and tear down your own home with your mouth, with your constant nagging and complaining, with your laziness, with your sin, and with your unsubmissiveness. You have the power to do that. Every one of you women have the power to do that. Everybody always want to quote Proverbs 31, but never want to quote the first 10 verses. Okay? Women are capable of destroying men and kingdoms. Okay? Ungodly women are capable of doing that. Okay? And it's not just the Jezebels. Do you hear me? Okay? You cannot afford to ignore the consequences of your failure in this area. It's too many people depending on you. Do you hear me? Ladies, you need to fully understand the effects and the consequences of being an unsubmissive, lazy, loudmouth, complaining wife. Okay? Titus 2 says this, Older women likewise are to be revenant in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Listen, this is what they're supposed to be getting trained in, to be self-controlled. That means it's possible for you to be not self-controlled. Okay? You're supposed to be pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. And here's the reason. Here's the purpose. The intended goal of it is so that the word of God may not be reviled. Some Bibles say blasphemed. Okay? 1 Timothy 5.14. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their household, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. That's the goal. Ladies, hear me well, okay? Your failure to love your husband and your children and submit to your husband biblically, your failure to be pure, kind, and submissive to your own husband has the power to cause unbelievers to blaspheme God, okay? Some of you in this room are going to be the reason that your children revile the Lord. Do you hear me? Some of you are going to be the reason that your families and your neighbors blaspheme God. And failing to submit to your husbands biblically is destructive. It is destructive to him. It is destructive to the children. It's destructive to the entire household. Please stop. A word to the men regarding your wife's submission. Men, listen to me. Hear me well. You're going to get exactly what you lead her to. Do you understand what I'm saying, men? You're going to get exactly what you lead her to. So God has called you to lead, and primarily this leadership is done by example. So your wife, in part, has learned what submission is from the people around her, especially you. Do you hear me? 
So the question is this, men. In the areas of your life that you have been called to submit, how has she seen you do it? How has she seen you submit, men, husbands? How has she seen that? How do you submit to your boss at work? How do you submit to the elders in the church? What does she see when you have to submit? Grumbling, complaining, combativeness, quarreling all the time? Listen, men, your submission to the authorities that you submit to is setting up the framework for her submission. Do you understand what I'm getting at? So when we lead, men, when we lead, you're either leading, you're either leading by Okay, you're always leading by example, but you're either leading her to godliness or away from it. Okay? It's one of the two. You're either leading well or you're leading poorly, but you're always leading. So when you're submitting, what does she see? How does she see you submit? How does she see you submit? If you constantly mid at home, if you see, if Pastor Rolo, because... This is not me. I just started. If Pastor Rolo comes up with an idea and you don't like it, and, but it's not sin, but you just don't agree, and you at home, yabba, 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 what do you think she's going to do to you? What do you think is going to happen? You just gave her the approval to be that way. So don't be surprised. Don't be up here crying, talking about she... Every time I try to do something, she never wants to listen to me. I got to do all these arguments and fight when I got a good idea. You taught her how to do that. You did that. That's your baby. You got receipts for that. Okay? So, you have to lead by example. In the areas in your life, man, where you've been called to submit, submit well. Amen? Oh, I didn't get a single Amen. It's all right. <clears throat> the third thing. So we're on on a handout, we're on point three. <clears throat> Wives are to submit because the husband is the head, just as Christ is the head of the church. Okay? So in verse 23, Paul says that the husband is the head of the the wife, and here the word head implies authority. That's obvious because the text also says that Christ is the head of the church. So, does Christ have authority in the church? That's not a rhetorical question. Does Christ, is Christ the head and the authority figure in the church? Okay, so then, that means that implicit in that word that the, that the husband has authority over the wife, and she should submit to him. Okay? Later on, I'm going to get into the husband's responsibility to lead, but right now, this is where we're drilling down on, right? The point that Paul is making here is, remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. So he's talking about the relationship between Christ and the church, uh, and he's talking about, he's drawing this analogy between Christ and the church and the husband and the wife. That's by design. God made marriage that way. That's not an accident. It's not arbitrary. It's not accidental. 
Paul didn't just find something. He didn't just trip up on a good analogy or a good illustration. God made it. God made the analogy. God built the illustration. He designed it that way when he made marriage. That's why there's somebody in authority. Because in a relationship between the church and Christ, there's somebody in authority. Somebody's the head. That's on purpose. That didn't happen because of the fall. That's on purpose. So just as Christ is the head of the church, the church submits to Christ. The under-shepherds who lead the church submit to him, and they have a responsibility and a duty to him first and foremost, and they're going to have to answer to him. The elders of this church are going to have to answer to Jesus for the way that they shepherded you. Just like a husband is going to have to answer to Jesus for the way that he led his family. Okay? And you need to understand that, ladies. First of all, you picked them. I keep telling y'all that. You picked them. Okay? Number four. Husbands are to love their wives just as Christ loved the church. That's verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or without any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish okay so husbands um the text gives a number of subtle and not so subtle lessons or uh, explanations for how this is supposed to work a husband is supposed to love their wives in the same way or just as christ loved the church and so paul is trying to show us here that husbands are supposed to exercise their headship and their leadership in the home, and that's supposed to be done in such a way that is self-giving and self-sacrificial, okay? Sacrificial love is the way Christ loved his bride, okay? God always, always expects his people to obey him because of what he did for them. Do you understand? voluntary submission family if you beating your wife over the head submit 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 you have to submit that's not voluntary it's supposed to be from her heart you're supposed to lead her into that you're supposed to love her sacrificially so that she will be willing to do that okay so think about what this means christ died for his church he sacrificed his comfort. He sacrificed his life. He walked away, or he, he, he not walked away, he, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He, he suspended, not a good word, he suspended his privileges for the sake of his bride. Men, you don't always get what you want. You don't. You can't always get what you want. Supposed to be self-sacrificial. You're supposed to be leading your Christ, your wife, to Christ, into holiness. That's your job. Sometimes it's gonna hurt. Husbands, number five. Husbands are to give them. I'm going through this fast because I got some remarks at the end. So just stay with me. Husbands, we're on number five. Husbands are to give themselves for 
their wives benefit. That's 26 through 27. Listen to this. So that he might sanctify her and cleanse her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. So the things that you do in leading your wife are supposed to be for her benefit more than they're for yours. Do you understand? You're doing this for her holiness, for her sanctification, for her benefit, for her joy in the Lord. That's how you're supposed to be leading your family. You're supposed to be sacrificially giving of yourself for her sanctification. Okay? And you should not be doing things that's going to draw her heart away from the Lord. You should not be making choices and decisions or anything without her or that are going to lead her away from Christ. Do you understand? Okay? So Christ gave himself up for his church in order to make the church holy. Okay? And to present her to himself as a radiant church. So the goal of Christ's self-giving, sacrificial love was for the good of his church. Therefore, the goal of a husband's self-giving love should be for the good of his bride. You should be making choices and decisions for her good and her benefit. Okay? Number six, husbands are to love their wives as they love themselves. Okay? Excuse me. Husbands ought to love, them, love their wives as they love themselves. You find this in verse 28 through 31. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Okay? So Paul is making a very important theological point here. Okay? Based on creation, based on the creation of man and woman. So you look in 31, he says, Therefore, Man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He, that's a direct quote from Genesis 2, right? And um, 2.24, and the idea of becoming one flesh, it describes what marriage is supposed to be. So no longer, so when a man and a woman get married, you should no longer be thinking of yourself as these two autonomous separate individuals, okay? But you should be thinking of yourself as this one living unit for the glory of God. Listen to this. This is Acts chapter 9, okay? Verse 1. Paul is on, on, the, on the road to Damascus. I want you to hear this. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's asking for permission to persecute the church from the high priest. Okay. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So Paul is persecuting Christians, right? 
believers. Paul is persecuting the church. And Christ, the Lord, is asking him, why are you persecuting me? So the church and Christ are united in such a way that they are one. With Christ as the head, the church as the body. Okay? So that whatever you do to one, the other one is going to feel like you're doing it to him. Do you understand that? That's how you're supposed to view your marriage. Okay? That's how you're supposed to view your marriage. That you're one. I'm about to sound like a broken record. Okay? There's never a time, men, when you're not married. Every decision, once you decide to get married, no decision that you should be making, you should be making without considering the benefits, holiness, and sanctification of your bride. You don't get to pick a job without considering that. You don't get to pick a church without considering that. You don't get to move out of town without considering that. You don't get to watch a football game without considering that. You don't get to do nothing without considering that. Because everything you do to yourself, you're doing to her. And everything you do to her is happening to you. Do you understand that? That's how you're supposed to view that. When you sin, men, it's affecting her. When you lead well, it's affecting her. That's the attitude and the view that you have to have. Do you understand? You don't understand. So your husbands, your love ought to be in, see, so here, listen, Paul is assuming that you love yourself, okay? Do you understand that? He's assuming that you love yourself. He's assuming that you're going to take care of yourself. He's assuming that you're going to always do the best. You're going to do what you think is the best for you. That's the assumption here. You don't need to learn how to love yourself. Okay, you don't need to know self-love and all this other nonsense. You don't need to learn how to love you. You love you just fine. Okay? That's not the problem. The problem is, is that you're selfish. That's your problem. It's not that you don't love yourself. Okay, here's what happens. Here's why you, some people think they don't love themselves. Because they love sin. Right? They go out and do a bunch of stupidness. And then the effects of that sin start to come back on them. And instead of them saying, oh, I'm a sinner, they go, no, I got low self-esteem. No, you just love sin. You love yourself fine. Okay? The problem is you don't love God enough. Okay? So Paul assumes that you love yourself, and you are going to do what you believe at the time is in your best interest. But that's not how you're supposed to think when you're married. That's not how you're supposed to think when you're a Christian, especially when you're married. Do you understand, men? I'm asking a real question. Do you understand that? So husbands, just as you would care for yourself, you should also care for your wife because the two of you are no longer two, but you're one, and you have to have that attitude. Okay? Conversely, like, listen, who in here would starve themselves? Who would do that? No, no, no. Starve yourself who would do that? Who would intentionally harm yourself? Who would do that? See, everybody looking at me like I'm stupid right now, right? Because nobody's going to do that. 
not intentionally. Not in, people who harm themselves intentionally, you know what we give them? We, we, we put them on suicide watch and we, we give them clinical, med, we give them medicine and, and psychotropic drugs because there's something wrong with you. Right? But normal people don't hurt themselves. Right? So Paul is assuming that you love yourselves and because you're one with your wife, you're supposed to do the same thing. Number seven, husbands. I'm sorry, number seven is this. Both husbands and wives should remember that their marriage speaks to the world about Christ's relationship with his church. Okay? So in verse 32, it says, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Okay? So Paul is referring to the relationship between a human marriage and the divine marriage, and he's calling it this profound mystery. So the word mystery in the Bible often refers to this hidden plan. It was, a, it was a hidden plan and has now been revealed in Christ. Okay? So it's been revealed in Christ. So unbeknownst to the people of Moses' day, when God designed the institution of marriage, it was designed to reflect and proclaim Christ's love for his church. And so Paul, like I said, I said this. I'm going to sound like a broken record. It's not a nice analogy. It's baked into the cake. This is part of the design. God planned from the very beginning for your marriage to function unto the glory of God. So what this means is that these instructions for husbands and wives and those prospective roles, they're not cultural, they're not accidental, and they're not arbitrary. Okay, so the husband's loving headship and his wife's godly submission are part of the essence and design for marriage and they're supposed to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. God did it this way. He did it this way so the world could see how wonderful the gospel is. Okay? He did it this way. He made marriage this way so that unbelievers would know the character of God's son and how much he loved his bride. That's why it's so imperative, men, for you to lead well and love her well. Ladies, that's why it's so imperative for you to submit. Okay? This, this, You've got to keep this in your mind because you're, everything around you is warring against this idea. Okay? Everything is warring against this idea. You may not particularly like the idea that you have to submit. Sorry. Men, you may not like the idea that you have to lay down your life and sacrificially love your wife. I didn't write it, but it's true. It's, and it's not about you. Okay? This is about the glory of God. Okay? So the, it's real simple. The question is, are you going to intentionally, in your marriage, attempt to reflect the glory of God and play the role that you're supposed to play, or are you just going to not do it? It's real simple. So in marriage, listen, but here's what you get. To, me and Pastor A was talking about this the other day. We have a, a fundamentally warped view of, of the commandments in the scriptures, Okay? 
we look at those commandments as obligatory. They are obligatory, but we look at them as, um, we don't see them as privileges, okay? We don't see them as privileges, okay? We see them as burdens. And the reason that you see them as burdens is because you don't think God is good, okay? Listen, family, you get the privilege of proclaiming the excellencies of Christ in your marriage. You get the privilege of doing that because you, you don't have, he didn't have to save you. He didn't have to save you. You could, you could be lost right now. But in his grace and in his mercy, he reached down from heaven, pulled you out of deep waters, set you on a solid rock, and now you get the privilege of obeying the king of glory. That is a privilege. You didn't earn that privilege. You don't deserve that privilege. And then you want to buck up and be like, because your, your grandmama and your mama d- didn't read the Bible and was doing some crazy stuff, and so now you want to just not be that. You want to throw away that because of her, because of your friends, because of some crazy TV, some person you've seen on TV. My wife told me not to get upset. listen in marriage your marriage like I said you get this privilege of proclaiming the glory of God in the relationship with Christ and his church so how you treat one another and love one another in your marriage is saying something to the world about the gospel Do you understand that? It's saying something to the world about the gospel. So, what does your marriage say to your unbelieving friends and family? Okay? Not, listen to me. Not what it's supposed to say. We know what it's supposed to say. The scripture tells us what it's supposed to say. I'm asking you, what does your marriage, what does it say to your neighbors, to your coworkers, and to your children about Christ's love for his church. What does it say? I'm asking you, what does it say? Think about that. Ladies, what does the way that you submit to your husband say to your children about the church's relationship to Christ? What does it say? If you say, I don't know, it's probably not good. Okay? What does your daily actions, attitudes, and affections say about Christ's relationship with his bride? What does it say? You need to think about that. Number eight, Paul calls wives to respect their husbands. So in verse verse 33, Paul rounds out the whole section addressing husband by addressing husbands and then you know he commands a wife to respect them so the term here of respect is the word for fear but it's not like this terrorist reverential awe sure you heard that before so the NIV actually does translate the word respect into the word respect 
So what uh, Paul does at the end of this section is he's telling them, okay, so he's saying, okay, respect your husbands. So the question is, why does he say that? Why respect? Okay. So, man, listen, ladies. I don't, I don't, I sincerely don't understand something about y'all. Okay. Forgive me. I don't understand why y'all don't get more information about men from men. Okay. Listen to me. A husband's leadership is either going to flourish or wilt away based on how you disrespect him. Do you understand that? Your respect, you respect, it is absolutely critical and necessary for you to respect your husband if his leadership is going to be any good and thrive. Do you understand that, ladies? That's why the Bible says that you could tear your entire house down with your mouth. You have the power to do that. You just keep disrespecting him. You just keep disrespecting him. If he's a decent man and that man is trying and he's not perfect, trust me on this. You don't want to submit to him, you will be submitting to a divorce judge. Because he's going, if he ain't, if he don't know the Lord, he's going to check out on you. And it may not be your fault, but you're responsible. You helped him. You helped push him out the door just by doing this. If your, if your husband is trying, right, if he's trying, first of all, let me rewind. He don't deserve your respect because he's amazing. You understand that, right? I'm going to keep saying this. You picked him, okay? But he deserves your respect because Christ told you to do it. I don't understand what the problem is. You picked him. Jesus told you to do it. What's the problem? Okay? You did not deserve anything you got from God. But God demonstrated his love for you while you was yet a sinner and died for you. You didn't deserve that. And so now you want to be like, oh, give me everything that I don't deserve, but I ain't about to give him nothing because he got to earn it. If you, ladies, listen to me. If you're, not, if you're here and you're not married, listen to your Uncle Corey. Take some advice. Okay, do not marry a man that you can't respect. Okay, when you see a man and you consider marrying him, don't be asking, who do I love to color his eyes and I just love him? Don't be asking them questions. Okay, the question you need to ask yourself is, am I going to genuinely have a very difficult time respecting this man? And if you flinch, don't marry him. If you think you are intellectually superior or you look at yourself in the mirror and arrogantly think, I'm a 10 and he's a 6, right? And, every, and, you, and you start to look at yourself and everything about this man is you can't respect, here's what's going to happen. Submission is easy when somebody's asking you to do something that you wanted to do anyway, okay? You understand that? If you, it, it, what's that? I would, I would agree, but nevertheless, I'm trying to be generous, okay? It's not submission if you're doing something that you wanted to do anyway, okay? You, start, you find out if you're submissive when, you, when you, you're at an impasse 
and there's only two options, and you can't get your way. So here's where the problem's going to come. Here's where it's going to come. If you think he's an idiot, and you're more intelligent than him, and you think you do everything better than him, and you don't think that he should be with you because you're so wonderful and beautiful, and he just married up. If you think all of these things, when you get to that impasse, and he says, I want to go right, and you want to go left, you're not going to do it. Because you're not going to trust his leadership, and you're not going to trust his decision-making skills. But you picked him. And you probably picked him because you didn't listen to your father. Because, I'm sorry. I'm out of time. I'm going to finish this next week. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your kindness. Lord, help us, Lord. Help these husbands, all of us, God, to lead well. Help these wives to believe that submission is a good thing, O oh God, and it's from your hand. Lord, help us all in our unbelief for your glory. It's in Christ's name. Amen.